Jason Kleiner, and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. I just got to say, how fun is this uh, 16-team uh, draft we're doing right now? I haven't been a part of a league this large before, and it's just a lot of fun. How are you doing today? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun and just, like, nerve-wracking at all the time. You know, I, sometimes I go to set my preset, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I should be able to get this guy, and then he goes like the next three picks. I'm just like, uh, okay. So, uh, but anything. I think the I thought the advantage of being in a 16 team league was obviously for the the listeners' benefit of the Dynasty Pulse. So now we have a have a great reference point. So I, I'm I'm excited about that fact, and I uh, tell you what, this draft has been so IDP crazy. It's, blowing my mind. It's got the same settings as DFW 36, if you're familiar with that. Um, and uh, we also have a 35-man um, rosters rather than uh, uh, excuse me, rather than 45-man rosters. So uh, that's only real change, but uh, we still start the same with model players. So not as much depth, obviously, with 16 teams. And let me tell you, if you're used to being in a 12-teamer, not that you ever doubted it, but 16 teams, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people gone by the time you go to pick next. So, uh, and I don't know when the IDP thing started. I guess you can blame me for taking J.J. Watt in the first round of 1.06, but if you want to blame somebody, I guess, but I just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't think I'm totally to blame for that, but, uh, cause, but yeah, something happened. Middle linebackers started going, and they just keep flying off of the board. So, uh, and I only have three receivers so far, and we're in round eleven. So, it'll be interesting to see what our squads look like at the end. It's going to be really interesting to see what like round thirty and thirty-five look like. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll move forward today. Today is our rookie sleeper show. So, of course, we have Mr. Burgundy stopping by to. Uh, to give us some help a little bit later on for that. Uh, we're also going to do a couple of dynasty dilemmas and answer some questions from the form, form and do some dynasty trade analysis. We'll also get a little philosophical and talk about what we've learned during our rookie draft season here and uh, see uh, see if we can help you out moving forward um, and see, see if we can talk about uh, Devontae Adams again, as we always seem to do. I feel like he's almost a part of this show, and he's never been on. But uh, moving on to questions from the forum, let's get right to it, Nick. And uh, we'll have Dan join us here in about 12 minutes. Um, first question, as my computer loads here. Um, first question from the forum, I believe, is a Des Bryant trade. Yes. 12-team league, 2PTR. I mean, you get two points for PPR. That's crazy. Um, quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, tight end, Lex kicker defense. I'm giving 1.9 to 
and 3.9, and Brandon Marshall, and I receive Des Bryant and Andre Ellington. Uh, Would start Luck Ellington, Doug Martin. Ooh, I think he lost me there. AJ Green, AJ Green, Des Keenan Allen. Charles Clay, Justin Tucker, and the Bills defense. Still have 2.6, 3.1, 3.6, and two first, two seconds, and a third next year. Wow. Did you catch all that, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot, but you're getting Des Bryant, who I believe is probably, you know, he's a top two wide receiver in dynasty formats. Uh, you could argue uh, uh, the Pittsburgh is Antonio Brown, but either way, you know, great option there. It's a lot to give up, and I personally would probably be trying to work on the running back situation. Like you said, Doug Martin, yeah. I would not trust one bit. But, you know, I think it's fair. But with the team situation, I'd probably look for a running back first. Exactly. I I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if, like, August 28th, I'm just throwing that date out there, if Doug Martin doesn't have a team. I just I would not be surprised at all. Um, Ellington, you know, I mean, if, I guess if his running backs are bad, he is getting Ellington, which I think, I think he's still in, in, in a good position to get, you know, maybe 50, 55% of the touches there in Arizona. I don't think as much as we all love David Johnson, I don't think he's going to be just, you know, this extraordinary player right away. I think they want to work him in there slowly, make him, make him earn his keep by doing some converting some third downs. And I think Ellington, will certainly take a hit snap wise, but I don't I don't think uh it's gonna be a huge, huge blow to his production. Um, you are getting Des Bryant and uh you know, he is obviously one of the one of the top five, arguably probably easily top five I would say, dynasty players right now. He's got, you know, obviously great experience uh to make him very, very dangerous and he's a receiver so they certainly have a, a longer life. It does seem like a lot to give up, but he does have a lot of picks the next year. So I think it's a pretty, a pretty decent deal. He is getting rid of Brandon Marshall, and uh, you know, hopefully, if you're not going to contend this year, hopefully you can use those those first couple picks next year on some decent running backs and make your team grow, grow after that. So um, uh, moving on to the next question here: Andrew Luck and Julio trade, ten team PPR. Current team, uh, should I trade Luck and Cook for Julio and Kevin White? He has Luck, Roethlisberger, and Winston. Running backs are Lacey Hyde, Ajay, Duke Johnson, David Johnson, Niall Davis, um, Christian Michael, and Dan Heron. His wide receivers are AJ Green, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, Victor Cruz, uh, Torrey Smith, and Eric. Decker. Sorry, I had to think about who that T. Smith was for a second. Um, you're get, trading Luck and getting Julio and Kevin White. I honestly don't think, as far as I'm concerned, if you're trading Andrew Luck, you don't have to throw in Brandon Cooks. If if the other player wants that, I, I guess, I mean, it's not like it's an unfair deal, but I, I don't know how you trade Andrew Luck. I know we've been over this I just don't know how you how you trade the guy. I would I would be more inclined to trade uh you know any other any other of your quarterbacks. You know you are potentially getting two top ten wide receivers next year, but I just don't know how you trade Andrew Luck. Any thoughts there, Nick? 
Yeah, I agree with you. It would take a it would take a mountain to for me to trade Andrew Luck at this point. I believe he was the only quarterback to throw for forty touchdowns last year. So having him definitely gives you an advantage. I I would not make that trade. I mean, as far as dynasty owners go, I don't know if you can. I mean, if there's one player you want in dynasty, regardless position, it has to be Andrew Luck. Again, enough experience to make him dangerous, and we all know watched him progress over these last three years. And you know Indy's going to lock him up. He's he's a starter for the next decade, and he's only going to get better. I mean, that's scary and awesome if you own him all at the same time. It's just I, – I just don't understand it. I, I thankfully own him in uh, DFW 36, and people have been trying to get, get him from me, and I just can't do it. When we started our 16-team league, I, I was totally – like, I'm going to either take Andrew Luck or J.J. Watt in the first round because those two are far and above the best players at that position, at their positions, and I want to have one of those two players. And Luck went right before my picks. Actually, he went a couple picks before that. So a little bummed I didn't get Luck, but I got J.J. Watt. So um, I just I just don't – I don't know how you can justify trading Luck. Even if you're getting two top flight wide receivers in return, you think Winston is going to be your quarterback of the future? I I don't I don't he's not Andrew Luck. That's all I'm gonna say. He's not Andrew Luck. Um last question offered Joseph Randall. Sorry. Uh offered Joseph Randall, Allen Robinson, and one point zero nine for Sammy Watkins. My running backs are Ellington, Vereen, and a four set twelve team PPR. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I would accept this trade in a heartbeat. I should say that I am pretty high on both Randall and Allen Robinson, and I'm not really high on Sammy Watkins just because of the situation he's in there in Buffalo. They're going to run the ball a whole lot, and the quarterback situation, Matt Castle, it's pretty iffy. So I would definitely make that trade. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I can recall really a situation like Sammy Watkins. Obviously the kid is super talented. Uh, but he's in an offense that's not going to play to him. He's in an offense that's not going to play to the strength of probably, you know, maybe their second best player after LaShawn McCoy, but he's certainly the best receiver on this team. And Robert Woods is no slouch either. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard call, but if you're going to be able to get that much of a haul for Watkins, I think you're okay. Even if you're not a big Joseph Randall fan, you need a running back for the short term. And you're getting 1.09. I, I would certainly, I would certainly do that. People, people that believe in Sammy Watkins, regardless of what what on earth is going on, really, really believe in him. And then if they can, if they will do that, I will. Uh, I'll, I would certainly oblige uh, if if that's what somebody wants from you. So that's that's not a bad deal at all. Uh, let's get to our first dynasty dilemma. Um, this is where we put two players against each other. Got a couple of them for you today. We have a kind of a, a, a young wide receiver one, and then we'll get a rookie running back one a little bit later. Let me play the music and get going. Okay, this one is Alan Robinson, who we just talked about, versus Charles Johnson. I chose first on this one so i will go first here with charles johnson a couple we have a couple young receivers here uh obviously a very different path but uh let's uh let's see what we got here for charles johnson do we really need to look any further 
than Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater versus Blake Bortles. Both young signal callers have been graced with more weapons this offseason, yet Johnson is the undrafted, chipped, shoulder wild man who wants to prove that he can be a wide receiver one. Robinson has great pedigree, uh, draft pedigree. This is going to obviously vest him potentially more opportunities pending he stays healthy. Um, Johnson came through big time last season with 31 receptions on 59 targets for 475 yards. And he certainly had something to do with the Vikings not drafting a wide receiver early. Perfect size at six foot two, uh, certainly more tenacious than the whisper thin Robinson. I got some real repercussions about Robinson's ever staying healthy. He just doesn't seem to have enough meat on his bones as far as I'm concerned. I like the kid, but I just have some concerns. Uh, he's been a very popular choice by many experts during this mock season. Uh, with his post-draft ADP at 7.04. He's also currently DFW's wide receiver number 45. I personally took him in the sixth round of a 16-team startup with pick 6.11 as my second wide receiver to pair with Jordan Matthews. What do you have for us on Allen Robinson, Nick? Well, you know, first off, I want to say I do like Charles Johnson. He's in a good spot as Minnesota's number two wide receiver. I guarantee Cleveland regrets cutting him last summer, and he he is ranked too low. At, uh, it was last month it was that DFW's receiver 48, but he's not underrated by 20 spots, which would place him in Allen Robinson's number 28 spot. You know, both players are – similar height and speed. Uh, so let's look at the way they were used last year. Charles Johnson only had two games where he had five or more catches, two games out of 12. Now, I know Minnesota worked him in slowly while they were still trying to involve Corderell Patterson in the offense, but Johnson was inconsistent late in the season as well. The final two games, he combined to have five catches and 60 yards. Plus, now Mike Wallace is in town. I think he's an upgrade over Greg Jennings, so he should get more targets than Jennings had, and that could cut into Johnson's workload. And one last point, Minnesota is a better team than Jacksonville, so the Jaguars will probably be playing from behind more often, throwing it more than Minnesota might. Now let's look at Allen Robinson. I mentioned Johnson only had uh, five or more catches in two of 12 games. Well, Robinson hit that mark in six of his 10 games before the foot injury cost him in the last six games of the year. In fact, if you throw out week one, and let's face it, it's not fair to judge a player based on his first ever NFL game. Uh, so other than week one, Allen Robinson had four or more catches every single game he played. You have to love that four in PPR leagues. I think uh, Robinson's going to be the number one receiver on his team, and that's a team that was so young last year, rookie quarterback and three rookie wide receivers. Uh, so they should be improved. That will lead to more scoring opportunities. You know, again, I do think that being separated by 20 points in the rankings is too much, but Robinson's definitely the guy you want to own out of this too. Um, well, I do think factoring into this, Adrian Peterson back in camp, I know there's a lot to be uh, decided on that front, uh, but uh, I think that's going to certainly open a little bit more up for uh, for Johnson. And and I do hear what you're saying about Jacksonville playing from behind, but they're you know he's both these teams have a lot of receivers on their roster and we'll see ultimately who, you know, becomes the top two or three guys or top four guys. Um, but uh, I think the tight end situation, Jacksonville certainly better too. So that's, you got to add that to the mix. So um, I think really when it boils down to it, if you're trying to choose between these guys, if you, if you flip a quarter, probably, uh, probably okay on that. So, uh, I, and, and and I do feel like Johnson is probably the better PPR ad. 
Uh, do you do you agree with that, Nick? Where where Robinson's maybe more of the home run hitter, so obviously can't dispute touchdowns. Well, but what do you think? Uh, no, like I said, I like uh, Robinson's floor in the PPR leagues just because he sees a, a consistent amount of targets every week, four or more catches in every single game except for week one. Okay. Well, I think Marquis Lee might have something to say about that, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I own him, and I no way I can get rid of him, so I'm <laughs> I'm banking a lot on him. Uh, okay, well, we got Mr. Burgundy on the phone, so let's patch him through here. Dan, are you there? Hey, gentlemen, how's it going? Hello. Good. I forgot. Let's just play, let's just play some music and get get all, get all ready to enjoy the birds. content, which we love to do. Um, but, now, you uh, guys are joining Dan, in, too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we're going to okay. start with Dan, our handsome co-host here. And uh, why don't you give us your uh, – I'll start backwards. Why don't you give us your rookie sleeper defensive back? Okay. Um, so, I definitely do not claim to be a brilliant IDP mind. I have a very – general broad knowledge of IDP and I am in um I believe three IDP leagues. So I mean I'm comfortable breaking them down. I did a little extra homework on these. Um this guy I uh we actually just started seeing him go off the board in our thirty six league, Josh, and uh I just like the guy's name so much that I have to I had to pick him. But uh it's it's like have you guys ever seen those key and peel sketches? Have you heard of those? Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Where they just make up the most ridiculous names, and they're actually pretty close to half the names that are in the NFL right now. Um, and uh, Jakurski J- J- Tart, uh, yeah, the um, the free safety or safety uh, that San Francisco took in the second round, I'm going to take. I'm not sure if he's necessarily a sleeper or not. I think in most weeks he's going to go undrafted um, or very, very late. We're talking sixth, seventh round in most IDP drafts. Um, his landing spot is going to require a little patience just because he did land behind the Bay, but that is a positive in my perspective, not a negative. Um, I think with all the mass exodus on defense, uh, in San Francisco, there's going to be quite a lot more turnover, and they're going to be looking towards youth a little bit more in San Diego or San Francisco a little sooner than later. Um, but uh, just a really aggressive run stopper, big, he's well built, um, and he's got a really good veteran in front of him. 
Um, the talent's there. Uh, we'll see how he is in pass protection. He's kind of a liability at some points. Uh, he'll get a little lazy and get a little over-aggressive and bite on a lot of play fakes and let those deep routes get behind him sometimes. So there is going to need to be a little learning curve at this next level, which, again, is why I kind of like where he landed. Um, but if you got a nice little taxi squad, um, I think in most leagues he'll be a potential waiver wire guy. Um but, uh, yeah, without going too deep, Jaquirski Tart. Okay. Uh, well, I I think that's who Nick had to, but that's okay. That just that just solidifies the selection there. So, um, okay, I, right on. A, Sorry, Nick. I have another uh, one. No, I'm that's actually – that wasn't my – that's not who I had, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. So go ahead, Jeff. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, we're good. I, I remember that now. I I think I had him and then I crossed him out. But, uh, but anyway, um, Sinquez. Golson, uh, <laughs> Ole Miss, now a Pittsburgh Steeler. I think the guy's like five foot two or something like that. I mean, he is tiny. So going along the lines of what Mr. Sean Kirby told us last week, uh, he's going to get picked on, I think, especially as a rookie. Now, he's a quarterback, so he's not necessarily going to hold a lot of long-term IDP value. Um, unless he's, you know, continues to match up against very tall receivers and people try to pick on him. Uh, but this guy rated really well at the college level uh, by Pro Football Focus, I believe, in terms of production and percentage of how he made plays. Uh, very, he's an SEC very guy, athletic. right? Yeah. What's that? Okay. He's an SEC guy, I right? Old, like Mississippi yeah, or Mississippi Miss, State yeah. or – Okay. Old Miss, yeah. And he's very fast, very small, and a very solid tackler. He's not quite Landon Collins good, but a very solid tackler. So I really like what uh, what he's going to bring to the table. And like I said, I think he's going to be picked on. He might not even be a starter right away. He might have to play uh, uh, play Nickelback in that Pittsburgh secondary, which, you know, it's not going to take very long because there's not a lot of bodies in there, not a lot of young bodies in there for him to overcome. But I, I really, really like the speed, and I think our buddy Mike Graphics can be very happy with what he brings to the Steelers there. Uh, Nick, who you got? Well, uh, my guy's got such a plain name, i got to mention two of them now. Uh, in cornerback-required leagues that are super deep, I uh, don't mind Ifo Ekpre Olamu, the guy there in Cleveland. But no, uh, in standard IDPs, I like safety Jordan Richards in New England. Uh, NFL.com projected him as a sixth or seventh-round pick. New England took him at the end of round two, though. But I trust Bill Belichick's grades a lot more than NFL.com's. And if you look at the scouting reporters, limitations are all in pass defense, so you know for sure he's going to be an in-the-box safety, defending against the run, getting tackles. And, you know, he's got a chance that I, I think that he could beat out the journeyman Patrick Chung there for early down work. So I think he could have value in that uh, new post-Vince Wilford defense. Plus, coming from Stanford, you know he's going to be a smart player. Uh, well, but he needs buddy, a lot cooler Mark. name. I mean, with all due respect, yeah, Jordan Richards is really <laughs> plain. He needs a great nickname. Uh, in defense, he did correctly pronounce Eiffel Acreola movie. So uh, I, li- I like that pick, too. I almost wrote him down. But uh, a couple years ago, I remember on, on our old podcast, Mr. Mark T. Wilson, a uh, big Philadelphia Eagles fan, told us that Patrick Chung was a horrible tackler. So if they need an in-the-box guy, I think Nick is right on uh, the money. So uh, he was – Mark was, of course, referencing their acquisition of Malcolm Jenkins and that Matt Chung was pu- pushed aside there in Philadelphia. So I like the pick. Uh, Dan, what do you got for us on sleeper linebacker? 
Uh, sleeper linebacker, again, a name everybody's going to know and not necessarily a sleeper, but I, I, I like him more based on where he's going and some of the doubters um, because I honestly think he's good at, got absolutely elite IDP upside. There's just a lot of question marks by him, so he's slipping a lot. Um, and, uh, again, this might be a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm going Shaq Thompson. Um and mainly it's because... It's kind of a cop-out. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of a cop-out. I mean, he's such a tweener that, you know, the big the big question is, is I mean, he, technically he could have been a safety sleeper for me, you know? Um, and sure. and that's the big question is we don't know... We don't know where he's going to go. And I'm of the... Sub, I'm not a subscriber to the, oh, he doesn't have a definitive place, so he can't valued as the playmaker the guy actually is. You know, look at Anthony Barr last year. He was kind of a, you know, what's this guy's position going to be? Does he make sense on Minnesota's team? And the reality is, is you just need somebody who knows how to use these guys. And he offers a really unique, you know, skill set that could be used in a lot of places on the field. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not as sold necessarily as Sean on Sean McDermott as a defensive coordinator as a lot of people are. So I do have a few question marks about that, and certainly he's got uh, some dues to pay um, before he's going to have a real chance. But the guy is an absolute ball hawking, playmaking, athletic super free, team first, good you know, good guy to have on your team type of player. And, you know, I mean, there's a, you got your basic, you know, traditional linebackers going first, and Shaq is falling to probably the fourth or fifth linebacker off the board right now. And honestly, in terms of playmaking ability, you know, he's he should be in the top two or three, in my opinion. And I know DFW has him three, but he's ranked from seventh to fifth and kind of all over the place there. Um, you know, so Thomas Davis is going to have to get out of his way a little bit, but not necessarily. I could see them lining up, you know, on the field together, depending on how, you know, how creative McDermott gets with this guy. So, again, a little bit of a cop out here, you know, and uh, just because he is a big name. Um, if he's 20 pounds heavier, he's probably the number one linebacker in the draft. I know Minnesota was looking at him very heavily and had him ranked very highly. So if you can get, a, you know, someone like Zimmer, um, that is not afraid to use this guy and get creative with him and just put him in a position where he can do what he does. Um, you know, weak inside linebacker is probably going to be his spot and just let him hawk to the ball. So, but I'm, I guess yeah. I'd look more at value necessarily. I, I guess sleeper is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I think for where he's going – and um, where he's coming off the board, he's a bit of a sleeper and definite falling value in terms of what I potentially see. I mean, the guy had, you know, four touch, four defensive touchdowns in 2014, you know, three fumbles, an interception return. I mean, that's just what the guy's going to do. He might be a little boomer bust because he's got some tackle liability to him. Yeah, but he also has some versatility, and maybe you're just telling us it's it's okay if you're looking at him compared to a couple other linebackers. It's okay to just just grab him because you know even if he does play a kind of a hybrid safety, there's not going to be a lot of reasons for him to leave the field if he starts making plays. So, 
Um, yeah. I, I'm going to go Preston Smith. He's kind of stepping into the shoes of uh, Brian Arakbo there in Washington, and he's only got Trent Murphy to really contend with. Um, and, and maybe Nick can elaborate on this, but I, I, I think that he's in a very good position to make plays, especially considering they have Keenan Robinson, an inside linebacker on the other side, and Ryan Kerrigan, mm-hmm. who's going to be really putting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, Smith could, you know, get past his blocker and end up just bumping into the quarterback because Kerrigan's going to be pushing so hard from the other side. I just think he's going to be in a very good position to make a lot of plays, especially this year. And we'll see how he holds his value going forward. But I think he does have a lot of uh, a lot of speed and just big, long arms. Guys, going to be outside linebacker. He's six five, two seventy one. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Alden Smith on the field. I should preface that by saying on the field uh, in terms of how he. Uh, how he works his body in there to get to pressure on the quarterback. So I, I really like Preston Smith. Um, little surprise, there's only one copy of him gone so far in DFW 36, and maybe maybe somebody out there is listening. But uh, uh, that, that's who I have for my sleeper linebacker. Uh, easily a fifth or sixth round guy is that's kind of how we see IDP start to fall, maybe even later, depending on how your league scores. So, uh, Nick, what do you got for us? Okay, well, I went pretty deep on this one. I went uh, with Taiwan Jones with the New York Jets. He's an undrafted kid, but he's experienced. He started every game in his four years at Michigan State. He's a real tough kid and a hard hitter. Uh, and you look at the situation that he's in. Uh, starter David Harris is 31 years old this year. He'll likely be there through 2016 because of, of because of his contract. But after Harris and the fellow starting inside linebacker, Demario Davis, there's not a whole lot of proven depth there in New York. Uh, the best most experienced guy is probably the 30-year-old Joe Mays, who's got 224 tackles over seven years. So I, I think Jones could easily win a roster spot there. And with some development and pass coverage, he could wind up being a starter at some point in his career. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of kind of the same pass as like a Danny Lenasana or a uh, Brandon Marshall, the linebacker Brandon Marshall. I really like him. I'm a big Michigan State fan, so it's hard not for me to root these kids, root for these kids. But um, he he's also, I think, has the speed to play outside if you need to do that. And definitely not a, a pass rusher, but certainly a, a, a guy that can, can push the edge there and maybe do that weak side thing. Maybe he can even kind of carve a niche last year like uh, Devon Kennard did for the Giants. So, uh, yeah, I like the pick. Um, Nick, let's stay with you as we kind of bounce back. What do you got for us on uh, IDP rookie sleeper defensive line? Uh, well, I'm going to go back to New England and go with uh, Trey Flowers, the defensive end there. You probably can't count on, on him a whole lot this year. But if he plays well in spot duty, New England could save $2 million against the cap next offseason by releasing Rob Ninkovich, who is on the wrong side of 30. Uh, Flowers' college coach, Brett Bielma, recently compared him to J.J. Watt. And remember, Bielma coached Watt at Wisconsin. And uh, also, New England defensive linemen have a history of being pretty decent IDP producers. So I like Trey Flowers. Okay, do you think he stands a chance to actually get past uh, Nick Avenge and Chandler Jones? Well, like I said, it's hard to count on him this year. This is more a dynasty. You kind of stash him on your on your bench real late and hope that he uh, starts next year. Well, and that's very true. And as Sean reminded us last week, you know, a good defensive end that's going to produce for you is pretty hard to come by. So if you think you think you can see something there in Flowers, certainly a, a nice late round guy. Uh, 
I got Anthony Ciccolo. I know this is going to be really deep. I can see him going undrafted in a lot of formats. But if you have, like Dan said earlier, a taxi squad or the roster spot, to let him sit there for a couple of years, um, this is this is crazy. And uh, and I I will uh, be the first to admit if his career totally goes south that I was wrong. But I see a lot of Jared Allen in this kid, and he especially when things got. Uh, Things got interesting, like with the Senior Bowl practice and stuff. Senior Bowl in the Senior Bowl game, Chicolo clearly stood out as a very, very good athlete on that field, amongst a bunch of other supposed All Stars at the college level. And and I just I love the landing spot. I think Pittsburgh's very old in a lot of places on their defense, and uh, especially if he's, I think I'm pretty sure he's yeah he is defensive end eligible right now on MLF. If he's going to regain that value year after year, he's certainly somebody to look at because I think he's a guy that's going to maybe not Jared Allen crazy, you know, double-digit sack numbers, but certainly a guy that's going to going to help Pittsburgh and uh, help this defense because he's got he's got the opportunity in front of him with some old guys uh, on the on the depth chart there. What do you got for us, Dan, on defense line? So you are going deep, Josh. Holy Christ. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I guess I took approach more like um, someone I would definitely, you know, someone that I would really strongly consider drafting at the very tail end of a rookie draft, um, you know, and, and really make room for him on a taxi squad, like you said. Um, I'm not sure I would do that with, you know, with your guy. Um, I mean, that's just the perspective I took when I was deciding my players. So no knock on your guy or anything. That's a really nice mm-hmm. deep sleeper. Um, this is a name that everybody knows. But as of now, I mean, in most rookie drafts, you know, very, very tail end. I know one copy of him went in ours at the very tail end of five. And now it's probably going to be the seventh round, late six, before we start seeing any other copies of him going. You know, and that's the big man out of Oregon um, who's now in San Francisco, uh, Eric Armstead. Um, And I guess, you know, for me, if I'm just looking at the defensive tackles in this draft, you know, uh, you got Williams, Beasley, Fowler, you know, Gregory, and then Omomawaya. You know, I can never pronounce that name. You guys can handle that one. I'm not an IDC guy. You know, but, I mean, I just like – I really like Armstead's upside. And, I mean, the guy is raw. His production doesn't match his play. Um, He's got some growing up – you know, he's got some growing up to do in terms of really developing into the position. So this, again, is a stash job. I mean, but he does have a really good chance of actually playing a pretty significant role in San Francisco right away. You know, so if you're looking at defensive end – and you don't get a shot at Williams or Beasley or don't want to wait a year on Fowler, um, you know, I, I like Armstead. I mean, I like, the you know, throwing him on there and letting him gain a little value, letting him have a couple games um, where he might flash a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's a huge guy, um, very strong, bull rusher, strength rusher, 6'7", 300-pounder, can probably put 15, 20 more pounds on if he wants to. Um, but he's probably a two or three year guy, uh, maybe a you know maybe a um, Griffin type you know thing where it takes him two or three years to really kind of come into his own. But he's going to have the opportunity to get on the field right away, and I think he'll have a pretty significant 
you know, chance to show what he does have while he continues to develop. So, you know, maybe, again, I hope this isn't a cop-out because, to me, he's still a sleeper uh, in the sense of where you can get him and um, and what his upside is. But he's just a pure upside guy. If he ever gets close to realizing his true talent, he's going to be an absolute beast. So for that late, that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Sean talked about him extensively last week, too, as a guy that could really contribute early on because the opportunity's there. And I think in terms of his position, defense, I really like him as a 3-4 defensive end just because of his size and the amount of space mm-hmm. that he can take up if you need him to. He really can. Uh, but he also, yeah, he also has the athletic ability, I believe, to chase down the play from, from the back end, too, if, that, if it comes to that. So... Uh, yeah, that's a great pick. I was a little surprised Arms that actually won in the fifth, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I have to decide between him or Chicolo as uh, as the draft progresses. Um, not to just throw all my ideas out there, but that's what I got. That's what I got in mind right now. Uh, sure. And what do you got for us for for tight ends? Um, well, this is where I'm going to probably start repeating myself a little bit based on our you know names you need to know on the rookie shows that we did earlier. Um, because nothing really much has changed. Um, I guess I didn't know how really deep you wanted to go. And I think, uh, you know, and I think Tyler Croft still qualifies as a sleeper. Um, so he's still a guy that is my number three tight end overall. Nothing's changed there. In fact, I honestly, if he'd have gotten to a better situation, would have had no problem bumping him over from a fantasy perspective, would have had no problem bumping him over Clive Wofford. I'm not sure I would have gone so far as Max Williams, uh, especially landing in Baltimore. I think, uh, you know, he's the clear favorite at this point um, just with his skill set and opportunity. Um, it's unfortunate that Grace or that, uh, you know, Croft did go to Cincinnati just because there are some options in front of him. Um, but to me, he is still clearly the most upside uh, tight end of the group in Cincinnati. I mean, Eifert has so much to prove at this point. And, um, you know, Croft is such a better receiving tight end and such a better route running tight end and such a better weapon. Um, his player comparison for me is, you know, a Dennis Pitta type player. And uh, so I just don't know. Situations change quickly. I don't know if Dalton is ever going to be able to fully utilize that tight end position. I don't know if he's uh, going to be the quarterback in Cincinnati for his entire contract. I know they got a lot of ways out of that contract. The situation in Cincinnati could change very quickly, Um, but I love the guy. And right now he is going undrafted in most rookie drafts, so for me that qualifies as a sleeper. Um, He's someone you don't need to target at the end of the fourth round or in rookie drafts unless you truly think you're going to get sniped. You can grab him on waivers and stash him on your taxi squad and just ride him out for it. You know, he's somebody that you could add and drop and add and drop and add and drop depending on how that situation in Cincinnati plays out. But he's someone you're always going to want to have your pulse on because when he does get his opportunity, he's going to be a very effective tight end uh, on every side of the ball. Okay. Uh, Nick, did you have Croft as well? No, you don't. Gosh, I'm sorry. What am I thinking? I know who your tight end is. Sorry. Uh, uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to repeat myself here too. In case you don't know or you missed what I, what I went off about him, whenever that was, 
Michael Pruitt, Minnesota Vikings. Sure. Uh, FCS guy, just a great Heck athlete. Yeah. He's only put two, 215 pounds, or 250, but he is 250 pounds. He can play the slot. I mean, who, I know I've said this before, but who wants to tackle a 250 pound bowling ball as a slot receiver? Uh, I think he has the ability to do like the Kleinsoffer role, Tom Rathman, you know, Larry Centers. Charles Clay, just a guy that can do the fullback, H-back, tight end thing, can be the move tight end, also can play on the line because he's got a big, thick chest where he can block for you too. Kyle Rudolph is not the pitcher of health. We know this. Chase Ford is also there, but come on. I mean, he's, they might as well just throw a number 75 on that guy and let him play tackle. He's not a tight end at all. Pruitt is just a freak athlete. I know that's an overused term. I think it's all it's going to take is for Bridgewater to hit him on a couple five and outs, and he turns him into 20 yards, and things are going to change in that offensive scheme in Minnesota, and they're going to really get this kid involved. I just I love it. Top, he's top five in all of the drills at the Combine. Outjumped a lot of the top-tier wide receivers in the vert. Uh, love the kid. So I'm sorry to repeat myself again, but Michael Pruitt, Going to be undrafted, I think, in a lot of rookie drafts. I just took him in an offense only one in the sixth round, only because it's a best ball, and I just want the kid. And so I, I just went ahead and did it. But I wouldn't be surprised if all copies go with him undrafted in DFW 36, except I do have three seventh-round picks in that league. So, uh, Nick, what do you got for us in tight? Well, I want to start by saying I like both of your guys a lot more than uh, the guy I picked. I went really deep on this one. I went with uh, Gerald Christian in Arizona. This year's Mr. Irrelevant. He was pretty highly touted coming out of high school, but him being my sleeper is all about his landing spot. Uh, the starting tight end last year was Rob Hausler. He's now in Cleveland, so that leaves Troy Nicholas and Darren Fells as his only competition for playing time. And I know that Nicholas was a second-round pick last year, but he and Fells combined to catch only eight passes last year. So, you know, there is a chance that he could end up beating those guys out. Okay. I know Nicholas did miss a lot of time last year, though, so maybe added to the reception total. And uh, I like the pick there, too, Nick, because uh, Arizona is a team that used two tight end, uses two tight ends a lot. And I know Cincinnati does, too, there, so maybe Cross is going to see a little more action than most rookie tight ends. So. Um, moving on, um, I'll start this time. Wide receiver sleeper. I got Titus Davis. Um one of two Central Michigan cats that I have, uh, go with Chippewas. Uh, love, love the versatility of this kid. Uh, big guy, 6'2", 215, you know, just, just the right size for to be a productive NFL wide receiver. He went to San Diego. Again, like a seventh-round guy. He's a guy that you need to take if you own Stevie Johnson or Malcolm Floyd or even Keenan Allen. Those are the guys that are in front of him. Um, I I just think he's got he has an opportunity with a bunch of old guys around him to be a very quality player next to Keenan Allen here in a couple of years. Uh missed a bunch of games last year and still scored something like twelve touchdowns or something like that. Just a great home run hitter for that team. And uh, a guy I think that they could use, you know, on, on three and four receiver sets to really stretch the field uh early on and that might how that might be how he has to pay his dues. Uh Titus Davis, wide receiver, former Chippewa, now Charger. What do you got for us, Dan? So I got a couple options for, you know, uh, for deep wide receivers. 
Um, one is it's never a bad idea to invest in any Philadelphia Eagle. Um, so Devontae Davis is a nice uh, deep stash. Um, he really only has Cooper to beat out, maybe Huff, depending on how physical you know Huff can actually be on the outside. Uh, they're going to move Jordan Matthews all over the place. I think people selling out on J-Matt at this point in the, in, in the season are just hilarious, and I really recommend buying that guy as much as possible right now. Um, I know the sexy pick right now is uh, Aguilar Nelson, um, you know, because of the comparisons to Jordy, or, you know, uh, Macklin and everything like that. But um, Jordan Matthews is just absolutely a phenomenal wide receiver, and he is going to work his ass off at every position he can play, every position. He's certainly physical and big enough to be on the outside. But to have that size and that physicality and then have the natural ability to play slot like he does, I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but I love the guy. So, you know, Devontae Davis really only has Cooper to beat out, and that's not really a tall order. Um, I think, you know, it might take a little bit of time because Devontae Davis is very single-minded wide receiver, very, you know, one-trick pony. He's very physical. He's used to out-muscling everybody. And there are going to be some fine nuances of the game that he's going to have to, you know, kind of work out. But, again, I don't think it's going to take that much to beat out Riley Cooper. Maybe I'm selling the guy short. Um the the other person that I think is worth a roster spot and a little um, a little stash in the taxi squad is Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. Um, he's already wowing people. He's ultimately going to be Cordero Patterson's you know replacement and potentially a nasty nasty slot option for what is really shaping up to be a a pretty lethal looking Minnesota team. In fact, I know it's, uh, it is what it is and it's all speculation, but Peter King had them. Um, Peter King had them as his sixth power ranked team for, you know, he just came out of them and they uh, came out with them, I think in uh, the last day or two. And they have, he has Minnesota as the number six team. And, uh, you know, and that's presuming that Adrian Peterson was going to be back, which obviously recent news just suggested, you know, well, now he's in OTAs and he's putting all this nonsense behind him. And that just instantly makes everything that Minnesota does on offense and everything that North Terminator does on offense and just that much more lethal, including the utilization of Michael Pruitt. Um, You know, that potential play action with that type of, you know, athletic freak down the middle is is just oh it you're licking your chops if you're a Minnesota fan and the reality is is um you know Kyle Rudolph just doesn't stay on the field. So that's a you know again I'm getting off on a sleeper or on a tangent. But uh Stefan Diggs has been wowing. Um he can definitely do punts, he can definitely do kickoffs. Um, he can be that X factor. Here is an absolute top-notch prospect going into the 2014 season. He was, you know, perceived by many to be a top-10 wide receiver prospect going in. Got a little lost uh, during the 2014 season, um, but he is absolutely turning heads at OTAs. And the reality is, is Cordell Pat- Patterson just may not be smart enough to pick up this position in the fine nuances of the game. He's definitely going to benefit by having a feedback, I think, more than most. Um, so we'll have to see if he can hold him off. But I think that Stefan Diggs is going to have a really legitimate role in this offense within the next two years. Yeah, I like that pick, and he certainly went – his copies went fast to him in 36. Um, 
You know, the one thing I kept hearing with Diggs before I actually had a chance to watch the film on him is everybody said he was too small. I thought the guy was like 5'5 five, five or something. He's mm, six foot, no, 190 solid. pounds. I mean, yeah. Nick, I just happened to look at this this morning. Nick, do you know who the tallest wide receiver on Washington is? It's Ryan Grant at six foot one. I mean, he's that's six foot is Aguilar. That's you know, uh, Rashard Green. That's just right. That's that. It's not huge, but it's not it's not small. It's not Tavon Austin. I mean, the guy has great legs, and he's gonna like you said probably with his comparison to Patterson. He has the ability to do returns, and that's gonna help him get on the field. Um, yeah, I love the pick. I love. I love Diggs. I think uh, Minnesota will do some interesting things with him. And uh, like you said, Minnesota fans licking their chops. I think Teddy Bridgewater is too. And to make another metaphor, I'm sleeping very well right now. Yeah, and he's already a more polished receiver than Cordero Patterson, which is going to give him more options with North Turner. I mean, that's the big issue with CPAT is he's just not picking up the actual receiving aspect of the game. He's just way more of an athletic freak that they're trying to, you know, get into space any way they can because he's just not good at creating that separation. Stefan Diggs already does that. So, I mean, really for him to get on the field, he needs to beat out Jarius Wright. And Jarius Wright is very underrated, but he can beat him out. He is a superior athlete. He's a superior talent in every stretch of the word. Uh, So it's really just about how he can, you know, kind of whittle his way onto the field in that slot role opposite Wallace and opposite, um, you know, Charles Johnson. So, Yeah, most definitely. Um, uh, Dan, let's stick with you, uh, running back. All right, running back again. Okay, I'm copping out here. God dang it, Dan. I really slacked off on this guy, but um, it's not, <laughs> I mean, a total cop. It's not a total cop out because he is going right at the end of, you know, most uh, most drafts in terms of running backs. Um, and I'll, I'll pick another one too. And that's, uh, you know, Cameron Artis Payne is just such a great, great, great mid to late pickup. Um, I don't know how you can't love that guy's situation um, in Carolina. I mean, seriously, what are the odds, you know, Jonathan Stewart's makes it past week five or six without something going on there? And you're talking about the SEC's leading rusher here. He's more than capable of picking up, you know, every down, every down work in that offense right away, 5'10", 215 pounds. He's got a burner. Um, he's got more than enough speed to go the distance. He's versatile. I'd like he's a little stiff. You know, it'd be nice to see a little more shake and bake to him. But I like Cameron Artis Payne as a you know, if you got if you have Stewie, he's an absolute must and he's a target of yours. Um, but if you don't, he's still a great stash because it's just a matter of time before that guy is getting the bulk of the carries this year. I mean you can write it down. The other deeper sleeper that is half, you know, he's probably getting drafted in about 40, 50% of leagues right now, and that's the converted safety, the big guy out of FSU, uh, Carlos Williams, um, up in Buffalo. And that's just simply because I'm not sold on LaShawn McCoy, guys. I mean, I'm just not. I know that might sound blasphemous, but the guy looked like garbage last year. And and that was as much to do with him as it had to do with anybody. He just simply did not get away with the same crap he got away with in his previous years. 
Uh, the reality is, you know, he's a tap dancing, you know, kind of behind the line of scrimmage, looking for the big play guy. That's why Philly moved on with him. He can be he can be as jaded as he wants. I hope it helps him, you know, tear it up in Buffalo. I'm not wishing ill will on the guy. But the reality is, is they went away from him because he was ineffective. That's the reality. And, I mean, 1,300 yards is nothing to sneeze at, but as much as the guy got the ball, he was ineffective for what they were looking for. Now they got two guys that are going to get positive yardage, that are going to exploit the hole, and are going to attack that line of scrimmage versus dance around it. And now Buffalo has that. And I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be as effective in Buffalo, as, you know, very much of the same. And I'll tell you what, if they give that guy another 300 carries, no, LaShawn McCoy is going to be – you're going to be lucky to get one or two more years out of that guy, tops, if they keep running him the way they're running him. So there's a lot of questions that need to be answered in Buffalo. I'm not sold on anything yet until I see it. I'm really, other than Sammy Watkins, um, maybe Percy Harvin just because he's such a buy-low guy and falling value, and anytime you get that guy the ball, period, he's dangerous. So I wouldn't mind investing in those two guys. But I'm not touching McCoy, uh, not for his price tag. And Carlos Williams is the opposite of that. He is an absolute bulldozer. He's an athletic freak. He's still got some question marks, too, as a converted safety. You know, some would say that he still hasn't found his natural stride as a running back. Um, but uh, he's the guy that they're going to wheel on the field when they just want to move the chains. And I could see him being a really nice breath of fresh air, change of pace to LaShawn McCoy, um, and uh, him getting an opportunity to show his his power and his strength and his athleticism um, at some point this year. So, yeah, very very good point too. Especially with you know McCoy, he's avoided any type of major injury throughout his career so far, but he is not that guy that attacks the line like you said and. And really, all it takes is one injury to make a lot, lot of other things go wrong. Um, and uh, that's going to be to Carlos Williams' benefit, a guy that maybe could see some time as a touchdown bullshit this year. Um, now I mean, I this is a 230-pound back with, you know, 230-pound back with 4-4 speed. You know, I mean, he's yeah. not going to cut on a dime and juke you out of your pants, but he is going to run right through you. And, you know, in <laughs> Buffalo in in late December – you know, when things get Ooh. cold and things get rough and things and the turf gets slippery and LaShawn McCoy's falling on his face trying to juke someone out of their shorts behind the line of scrimmage, you want a guy like Carlos Williams who can come in and make that sub-zero temperature feel even worse. And that's what he's going to do. And so I really like him up in Buffalo for that reason. Okay. Well, I know for sure we doubled up, right, Nick? <laughs> yep, yep. I also went with Carlos Williams. You know, I know they have Sean McCoy, and you know the eighty-year, eighty-nine-year-old Fred Jackson remains the lone holdover from the. Yeah, he'll league. probably yeah. still be the stud this year. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Fred Jackson—he's not that old. He's but he is going to be thirty-four this year. And as much as they gave up for McCoy, you'd think they wouldn't want to subject him to unnecessary hits, like on the goal line. And at six-one-two-thirty, Williams has the size. To take over the goal line duties, and you mentioned his 4-4 speed. He's got the speed to eventually, when he gets some more seasoning, possibly be in every down back for him there. Yep. Okay. Sorry well, to I step on your touchdown super... call next. <laughs> uh, I went super deep here, and uh, I know a couple 
a couple other guys out there that we are friends with, like this guy too, Thomas Rowles, my second Central Michigan Chippewa. Uh, a little Mac action for you here today. But uh, he's a running back. He's currently on the Seattle roster, went undrafted. I know they got Turbin, and I know they got Christian Michael, and I know Marshawn is the man. Uh, but I think he's the guy. If he, if he doesn't make – if he doesn't make Sorry, this that was team, just funny. <laughs> yeah. If if he doesn't make this team and they're gonna try to practice squad him, I think somebody's gonna snatch him up and yeah. he's gonna have a chance to contribute. Um I kinda see him maybe as like a a Bobby Rainey minus the fumble itis, uh a guy that maybe takes a couple years a couple teams to to find a home. But Whoever, wherever he, team he's on this year, if he does get cut by Seattle, and he goes to some place where they have injury problems, like let's say Carolina swoops him up. I know we love we love Artemis Payne, but if Carolina swoops him up, he is a guy to p- grab and put in your taxi squad because I think if he gets the opportunity, he's going to shine. Five ten, two fifteen, perfect size for an NFL running back, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm not super sure quick. His, uh, his, yeah, I'm not sure on his measurables, but uh, I just think he's a very a strong runner, the guy that they really helped set helped, helped his college team set the pace. And let's face it, you know, if I know Marshawn's not the easiest guy to talk to, but if he learns anything just by watching this guy in camp, I think he's gonna it's gonna be to his benefit. Um, like I said, a guy that's probably gonna go undrafted in a lot of rookie drafts, but certainly a name to watch, and I know uh, our friend over at Fake Pigskin, Ron McLeese, likes him a hell of a lot, too. So a uh, couple couple people in on the uh, Rawls train is just like you guys both on the Carlos Williams train. So yeah, no, we go I like that, man. Deepest, yeah, we go to the deepest position in this NFL draft, obviously. I'm <laughs> uh, and we go to the quarterbacks. Uh, probably not. We're probably not going to mention any names that you haven't heard unless Unless Dan or well, was Nick could have got super deep, but uh, oh no, Nick didn't go that deep. Uh, Dan, let's 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 start us out. You're our only chance to go deep. What do you got for us? Oh, I'm not going deep because honestly, this draft class is not worth owning. Um, honestly, past in my, I mean, I, I can understand like Teddy and Hunley. You know, they're worth owning. They're worth a stash. I'm not going to draft them. I can tell you that much. Um, you know, maybe Sean Mannion I could stretch, um, you know, into, you know, I think probably the most popular deep, deep ones are going to be Mannion just because, you know, Foles still has questions to answer at St. Louis. And then maybe Brandon Bridge in Dallas just because Romo is reaching the end of his rope and that back is a little sketchy and they got the weapons and the, you know, in the offense and the offensive line to protect them. So, you know, I could see something, you know, those guys going that. But honestly, the only guy truly that I think is going to have a long, sustained career if he gets the opportunity not named Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston, because honestly, you know, Brent Hundley's not even going to get a shot in Green Bay. I mean, by the time by the time Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. is done, that he might get a few opportunities to shine where Green Bay can use him as a functional backup and maybe trade him and get something for him. Um, you know, when, when that contract comes up and he's ready to move on in free agency. But Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. Um, Bryce Petty might have a decent chance, but I'm just not a Petty guy at all. I don't I don't see the, the translation to the pro game. Um I just don't I just don't see it. 
Um, he's a one-trick pony with a big arm, and I just I think he's going to get absolutely chewed up in the NFL. The guy that you need to own is Garrett Grayson, and he is, you know, still going undrafted, maybe at the very end of the draft. Um, you still may have to wait on him. I view him very much like a Jimmy Garoppolo, but here, you know, here we are, and Jimmy G is going to get a couple games at the very least in the early season to show exactly what he's picked up in the next year. And I'm really excited to see what that is. I think he's got. I think we're going to see huge upside out of Jimmy Garoppolo, um, and he's going to be worth holding on to. And I think that's all you're going to need from Garrett Grayson, and he's learning behind one of the best. Um, so this is a guy that you need to stash, and uh, he's my really only sleeper because, honestly, I don't see any of these guys worth owning past him. Well, if I I'm not really down on the class. Of a... Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not, I'm just very uh, down on this class, little... so, I mean, <laughs> okay. yep. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just want to take a little bit of a shot at Jay Myers, so he stops trying to trade me Drew Brees in DFW 36. Does he not know about <laughs> this guy? I mean, this is his backup. He's from Colorado, so with Jay, just tell him, Jay, just right? this guy in the seventh round, and two years from now, you'll there be you going. Go. Um, I, right. I know Nick, Nick. That's the same name Nick has, and I really can't dispute that. But I, I, I had to go with the Jets quarterback. You know, where's oh, where's no. the suspenseful music? Bryce Petty. I, the opportunity is is going to be there. I mean, if you throw two touchdown passes in one game, oh my gosh, the game green is going to go nuts. I mean, if that happens, and he's got receivers, he's got, he's got. Curly, why did that? Why was that the first thing that pops into my head? Curly, he's got Marshall, he's got Decker, he's got Devin Smith, he's got Jason Morrow. I mean, he's going to have to really screw the pooch not to make it work somehow. And if you're desperate, truly, truly desperate, <laughs> take him in the seventh round. <laughs> Bryce Petter. Nick, what do you got for us on Garrett Green? Well, I agree with Dan on both of his points. One, that I wouldn't want to roster any of these quarterbacks uh, other than Winston or Mariota. And two, that if I did have to, it would be Grayson. You know, he's not going to help you this year, but if he winds up the starter when the 36-year-old Drew Brees moves on, he's going to be in a great position under uh, offensive mastermind Sean Payton with his head coach. Absolutely. And it, and at the time that he would take over starting, if that happens, Brandon Cooks would be approaching his prime as well. So I think there's some possible upside there. Okay. Uh, well, we did it. We got through all the positions, um, and I'm glad I knocked it down to DL rather than DT and defensive end. Uh, but we did it. Yeah, good we call. Did. We got all of them. <laughs> so, um, did you guys do your dynasty dilemma yet? Uh, we have not. Do you want to stick around and uh, judge that for us? Um. Can. Yeah. Are you going to do it next? We can if you can stick around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll, ju- right. I'll judge it. Well, we did one already, and that was wide receivers, but now we're going to do our rookie one because that's what anybody cares about right now anyway, right? It's all about the right. uh, rookies, as rookie draft. All what could be. The, uh, yeah. the 60%. So we have Mike Davis versus Matt Jones. Um, I'll just play this short music clip as uh, Nick goes first with Matt Jones. <laughs> Nick, what do you got for us? Okay. 
Okay, so neither Matt Jones or Mike Davis are likely to start this year. Davis is behind Carlos Hyde, and Jones is behind Alfred Morris. And while I, as a Skins fan, love Alfred Morris and think the world of him, I just don't think he's going to be back in 2016, just due to all the other players whose contracts are almost up. Guys like Trent Williams and Ryan Kerrigan, uh, possibly Terrence Potros Knight, who only signed a one-year deal, and either RG3, if he figures things out, or an outside quarterback. All these positions are likely to be higher priorities than running back. So with Alfred Morris gone... Jones's value at this time next year could be similar to Carlos Hyde's current value, and Hyde's right, right now going in the third round in startup drafts. As far as this year, 2015 goes, I think Jones is in a position where I think he'll outproduce Davis due to the fact that Washington rotates their running backs a lot more than San Francisco. Jones is a good blocker and receiver, so he'll slide into Roy Hallou's old role. And last year, Hallou's 477 receiving yards is more than San Francisco's number two back had rushing and receiving combined. Now, I admit that Carlos Hyde is far from a sure thing. So Davis does have a higher ceiling for this year if he were to take the starting gig. But to me, Jones is a safer pick, especially given the fact that Washington's new GM, Scott McClown, recently said Jones reminds him of Marshawn Lynch, who Seattle acquired well while Scott was there. Plus, at six foot two, two thirty one, he could also see some goal line work this year. What do you have, Josh? Okay. Uh, Mike Davis uh, kind of seems a name that seems to have slipped since the draft, maybe just a little bit. But uh, so in Davis enters somewhat of a murky situation in San Francisco with second-year man Carl Ty presumably serving as RB1. Uh, meanwhile, Jones is gaining steam because Alfred Morris is basically a senior citizen with an expiring contract. Uh, Mike Davis, post-ADP, now I asked Dan a question about this last night, but his post-draft ADP is 12.1. That does not include any times that he was drafted prior to the draft. So it's not it's not pre and post combined. It's post draft. Mike Davis is currently being drafted at twelve point zero one while Jones is fifteen point one one. So even though there's maybe a clearer path, a clearer vision there for Jones, experts, dare I say, are still going uh Mike Davis. Um now more and but more importantly the D F W community is still going Davis first uh, also we all know that we all know knew and loved davis pre-draft but exactly who was jones pre-draft was he even anybody's sleeper uh no in fact he was a fringe sixth rounder at best uh some believe his skills were so lacking that he might not even make an nfl roster now all of a sudden he's the next john riggins i mean oh i'm sorry that sound you heard was nick maybe throwing up just a little bit. But anyway, Jones is hardly anything but Brandon Jacobs, as far as I'm concerned, with better hair. He's Brandon Jacobs with better hair because he's got the dreads. Um, Davis, on the other hand, will supplement Hyde, and I do hear what you're saying, Nick, there. I'm about not using the, the running back rotation as much as Washington does. But Davis, I think, will supplement Hyde this year and the next and possibly the next. But I honestly truly see a 50-50 split Duel come Thanksgiving, and that sounds better than a turkey leg to me because I am allergic to turkey. But anyway, uh, while Hyde Hyde is sitting there enjoying stuffing, Davis, I think, will be pouring gravy straight to to an end zone near you. And PPR alert, Davis can catch. um, And a couple couple packages that they involve him with receiving-wise can only – can only become only draw and but excuse me a couple of receiving packages that can involve Davison will certainly help him gain some steam there in San Francisco. 
Uh, and I think the only drawback is Hyde could ultimately be a touchdown vulture for him, which could maybe make him, you know, like a Tiki Barber-esque player. So, Dan, actually, I'm sorry, Nick does have a slight moment to rebut. Well, if you're comparing Matt Jones to Brandon Jacobs, I'll take that every time. You know, Jacobs was fairly reliable, you know, short yardage back especially, and if you're looking for touchdowns, that he's the guy that's going to get you those. Okay. But I just came full circle and compared Mike Davis to Tiki Barb. So, uh, David, uh, Dan, we got questions. <laughs> um all right, so I got a couple I got a couple questions and then um well first, Nick, if you flip these two, do you change your vote? If Mike Davis is in Washington and Matt Jones is in San Francisco, would you change your point? Uh yes, Honestly. I would. This is this is right. a lot more about the landing point and the opportunity. Right, more about situational. Yep. So we all agree that Mike Davis has the better talent overall as a running back. Is that correct? Or at least perceived talent. All right. So to your point, Josh, you know, Matt Jones was, you know, kind of off the radar a little bit before draft. But I really try not to read into that because the reality is is these running backs truly are a dime a dozen. I mean, their skill sets are separated by such fine nuances that it comes down to who's being featured on ESPN one day, who makes a big play the next. I mean, these guys are so comparable in skill set. You know, we're talking about micro fractions of a second on their time skill sets. So opportunity and situation do play an enormous role for this position in particular. And it's hard because of such a short window of opportunity in terms of career longevity to invest in a talent versus a situation because by the time the situation changes, they're already three or four years into their five-and-a-half-year average career lifespan. So it can be a really touchy situation there, and I think you have to weigh a little more situation-wise. And for that reason alone, Nick, you make a really great point, and I think everyone agrees with you on this, or at least most people. I certainly do. Alfred Morris is gone next year, you know, if Matt Jones shows anything this year at all. I mean, why are you going to pay, you know, Alfred Morris you know, whatever, five to eight million a year after you've just used and abused him. Now he's going to be, you know, going downhill. I mean, maybe some of the more loyal industry, you know, more loyal uh, franchises might reward a guy like that or try to keep him. But the reality is, is they are, you know, these guys are a dime a dozen. And now running backs are just getting used and abused, chewed up, thrown away. And, you know, so... So I do think Matt Jones, if he shows anything, um, will have the opportunity to be the guy next year and will have an opportunity to show, I think, a little more than Mike Davis will this year. I think people truly, really undervalue what Hyde can do from a skill set standpoint. I really don't see Mike Davis as that much better of a receiving back than Carlos Hyde. Um, I think they're very comparable, and I think people are truly going to be shocked when they realize how quick and how fast Carlos Hyde is going to look this year being down 15, 20 pounds. We Le'Veon Bell, his rookie year compared to his second year, it was crazy different. Le'Veon Bell looked like he was shot out of a cannon early on this year, and that's the difference. You know, that's, that's the difference. I mean, if you look at his senior year at Michigan State, or his junior year, I think, I can't remember, but his last year at Michigan State and then his rookie year in Pittsburgh, 
you know, very slow to the line of scrimmage. It was one of his biggest knocks on him. And then he drops down 15, 20 pounds, and now all of a sudden he looks like freaking Barry Sanders running through those holes. And that's what you're going to see. I mean, there is no difference. There's no difference. Carlo Hyde, Carlos Hyde is going to have the same look to him, and there's a really good chance the way San Francisco uses backs that Mike Davis is a depth chart cavity. You know, is a depth is is a classic situation of a depth chart you know, casualty based on who's in front of him and the situation. Because Hyde's got two or three years now before he's due his contract. And at that point, you know, do you slide into, you know, Davis or not? So, you know, it's close. I definitely agree that Davis is the better back. I definitely agree that he's the more versatile of the back. I definitely agree that if they were both starters on their team right now, that it weighs heavily into Davis's side. But I am way more up on Carlos Hyde than I am uh, Alfred Morris, and I agree that Alfred Morris is going to be gone a lot sooner than Hyde is. So I got to lean with Nick on this one. And if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to invest in something that's going to reap benefits for me earlier than or sooner than later, it's going to be Matt Jones. I'm, okay. So. Fair, fair enough. I will say one more point, and I know they're completely different players here, but. I don't put it past Washington to draft another running back early next year because they're losing Morris as insurance. I mean, we said the same thing last year. We said the same thing two months ago about Trey Mason in in St. Louis. And uh, look look where we're at now. So I I just – I guess we'll leave it at that. I'm just going to add one (laughs) thing to that. Um, there's no guarantee Mike Davis is the number two back in San Francisco. Kendall Hunter is getting healthy and looking good as well, and he's no slouch of a back either and has three or four years in that system and knows it well. You know, there's no guarantees with that running back position. It's so volatile and it's so short-lived that I really do think situational analysis plays a much larger role in the valuation of those backs because you only get a small window of time. So. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough, even though it is a new system in San Francisco. Whole new coaching <laughs> staff. That's true. That's true. So maybe right. Davis was their guy. But anyway, we could uh, talk Oh, about there you go. There you so, go. Uh, All right. I might change my uh, That's why we have Dan come on. <laughs> to ramble on, and we that's why we love so, Dan, thank you. I'm sure we'll figure right, out a way to use you next week and in the future. All right. Take care, guys. Take care, bud. Man, I really thought I had you this time, Nick. Really thought. <laughs> we let somebody decide. And uh, I and I also want to point out to my point in this whole – the whole dilemma is I am already, already two teams deep on Mike Davis dynasty-wise – um, so we'll leave it at that. So I'm heavily invested in Davis. I have no problem taking him at the end of the second round. Uh, both teams, I took him on. Um, one, I have a lot of running backs. And the other one, I am totally rebuilding for to be a monster team in 2017. That's really how far I'm looking at with this team. So we'll leave it at that. I think, uh, yeah. I think that dilemma's been talked about. <laughs> Let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. And, of course, without further ado, let's go right to 
Drum roll, please. Devontae Davis on the trading block. Excuse me, Devontae Adams on the trading block again. Uh, Burgundy, who we just talked to, got Devontae Davis and pick 3.34. This is in DFW 36. So got Devontae Davis and pick 3.34. Got Gave up Harrison Smith, a 2015 seventh-round pick and a 2016 second-round pick. Not a whole whole lot, I think to give up to get Devontae Davis, and he also got a third-round pick there. So what are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, you take a seventh-round pick, and that's, you know, not not that valuable. So we'll just throw that one out. So I think the the third-rounder this year for a second-rounder next year, that's pretty equal. So basically it comes down to trading Harrison Smith for Devontae Adams. Now, I'm a little bit worried about Harrison Smith. I know he's been a great producer in the past, but, you know, they added another tackling machine there, and Eric Kendricks, a linebacker. Uh, they got a, another solid corner they drafted in the first round. So I'm a little worried about Harrison Smith's production moving forward. So I definitely like, uh, like acquiring Devontae Adams in that trade. Uh, yeah, I think this is another yet another steal by Burgundy. Um, Safeties, I don't think you really need to trade them, trade for them to get them. Um, there's certainly guys out there that are scoring a lot of points that are usually going to be available. So I don't, I don't think there's any, any problems at all uh, acquiring a safety. I don't think you really need to, to make a trade for one. And uh, we all know Davis, the, the excuse me, Devontae, Adams, we all know the controversial figure he's been this offseason as people are just throwing this guy around like crazy. And obviously different values are and whatnot coming about for him. So, yeah, I think yet another great trade by Mr. Burgundy. Uh, moving forward, another Burgundy trade. Cam Newton, Justin Blackman, and Marquise Lee for Michael Floyd. Uh, seems a lot to give up for Michael Floyd. What are your thoughts, Nick? Yeah, usually I love Burgundy's trades, but this one leaves me scratching my head a little bit. Uh, Michael Floyd was kind of a bust last year. I'm not really that high on him moving forward. Yeah, Justin Blackman, whatever. I don't even expect him to play again. So uh, Marquise <laughs> Lee and Michael Floyd, I don't think a whole lot separates those two. And you're also giving up Cam Newton, who's, you know, to me a top five dynasty quarterback. That's just too much for me to give up. Well, I think this deal is basically basically Newton versus Floyd. And I think there is a little bit of a difference. As much as I love and I need Marquise Lee to come through for me, I'm not going to make him something that he's not. He he still needs to prove he can stay healthy, uh, which is something he hasn't been for like three years. And, uh, you know, Floyd was a bust, but they also suffered through an, an awful quarterback situation there last year. Uh Need I remind anybody the name Ryan Ryan Lindley, um, but uh, and I, so but he did still lead that team in receiving last year, even though he wasn't over a thousand yards and wasn't you know averaging like nineteen nineteen per reception like he did the year before, or whatever something crazy like that. But uh, um, it seems a little tipped because you don't know what Marquis Lee is going to become, um, but uh, and. Burgundy has Bridgewater as well in this league, so maybe that's why he's just ready to use Bridgewater um, and uh, be done with Newton. But uh, this is a trade that was made in 
in the rookie draft. So we obviously know that Newton's got another weapon there in Devin Funches. Um, I think it's close, but I still think uh, the guy that uh, got got Newton and Lee is probably probably slight edge. But obviously Burgundy knows what he wants. So um, moving forward, um, Adrian Peterson for Charles Sims and 2016 first round pick. This trade is obviously made before Peterson returned to OTAs, uh, but maybe now it looks a little bit more fair. What are your thoughts, Danny? Well, I don't. I never expected Peterson to miss the year. I figured he'd be playing either in Minnesota or somewhere. But uh, I, I love giving up a 30-year-old running back for a young running back in Charles Sims, who's most likely going to be the starter there in Tampa Bay, plus a first-round pick on top of that. I, I think it's a great deal. Yeah, if you're going to be able to get, if you're going to be able to get rid of Adrian Peterson, for 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 that much, I think it's I think it's a great deal. Um, some people just want him gone off of their team, you know, whether it's real or NFL life. But uh, and like you said, Sims, young wide receiver who I think has maybe somewhat of an unclear ceiling right now, but I have believed in this guy since before he was drafted, and I think if he had not hurt his ankle in the preseason last year, he would be maybe Carlos Hyde's status right now, um, maybe even bigger, because I think he, like you said, is going to be the starter there. Very versatile. He can block. He can catch that little screen pass and get you a couple extra yards in, and he's big enough to run between the tackles. Hopefully that... uh, that ankle holds up for him. Um, so uh, moving forward here, we do something every week. We try to do it every week, but we'd like to call Nick Rants. And believe it or not, this is Mr. Rob Krakow. So Nick, what do you got? Well, Josh, I'm calling you out. I think you're a little bit too hard on Rob Gronkowski. You know, you said you in the past that you're turned off by his frat boy style antics. And I should start that by saying that if he was a quarterback, I'd fully agree with you. Quarterback position requires a commitment off the field, unlike any other in sports, in my opinion. But tight end, I mean, if he knows who to block and what routes to run and why where he's lining up, then why should we care what he does off the field? He's not hurting people. He's not getting arrested. He's having fun. The guy scored 17 touchdowns in 2011, four out of his five years, double-digit scores, two years with 1,100 or more yards receiving, two-time All-Pro. The dude shows up on Sundays, and by all accounts I've seen, he also works hard in practices. When it's time to work, he's nothing short of professional. And the fact that he's bounced back from multiple major injuries is yet another testament to his work ethic. Remember, in college, he missed the entire 2009 season after having back surgery. And then in 2012 and 2013, he had four surgeries on his forearm and another back surgery. That kept him sidelined until mid-October. Then in early December, tore his ACL and MCL. Now, lazy, unprofessional players that go through that are never to be heard from again. While Gronk returned in 2014 to put up his second-best season as a pro. Now, Josh, I think our life path is 
probably influence our feelings on the subject. You know, you're a family man with a wife and kids. Well, I yeah, it's I avoided that like the plague, which is probably why we have such different perspectives on the guy. But uh, you know, I know when I was 26 years old, if I had the money to party the way Gronk does, which let's be honest, it might be a little bit mild compared to the pre-TMZ cocaine-fueled antics of players in the 1970s and 1980s. You know, when I was 26. I definitely would have had something akin to Gronk's favorite mode of transportation, a party bus he bought from a church and renamed the Sinner's Bus. But you know what doesn't happen with the Sinner's Bus? DUI. He has a driver. Maybe more players should buy party buses and help keep the roads safe. Dare I say, Gronk is a role model? Okay, that's maybe a little bit too far. But still, I think we should cut him some slack. What do you say, Josh? Oh... I don't know. It just doesn't have a very trustworthy face. I feel like I'm somebody that can really judge somebody by the by the look of him. That being said, if I have the chance to get him in a, in a league, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna certainly do it. I'm gonna pull the trigger on him in the end of the first round, mid first round, especially if if you know luck and water gone. Um, he he's easily the top, top the top tight end right now to own in all formats, dynasty redraft daily, whatever you want to say. He is he is surpassed Jimmy Graham. And, you know, some people, somebody on Twitter thought his his value was going to take a hit this year with Garoppolo starting the first couple of weeks, you know. And I, I, I could not be more defiant in that response. I'm just like, his value takes such a huge jump because Jimmy G is going to need that outlet. You know that he's going to know where Gronk is, and Gronk's probably going to tell him where he is, frankly. And uh, as long as, like you said, as long as he keeps his nose clean, I mean, he did judge a bikini contest, which is whether you're a family man or not. That's pretty honorable, not honorable, but a pretty amazing thing to judge, we'll say that. Uh, so he is certainly a polarizing figure, and I maybe was a little harsh on him. Uh, I said some really harsh things about him last year. But anyway, and I, and I saw because, he, you know, my son is a Patriots fan and absolutely loves him. And I just, uh, but uh, but more importantly, what is what he does is on the field. So uh, let's take a quick break and listen to what uh, uh, what we do here for you at DSW in terms of if you are an insider or not. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our insider membership. For just twenty nine ninety nine per year, you get the insider membership plus our rookie draft kit. Insider membership itself is twenty four ninety nine. Just the rookie guide is nine ninety nine. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only two dollars a month. Membership includes all access to insider articles, Dynasty Redraft Daily IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty Expert Rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 
143 skill position, 106 page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away at, during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. One more dynasty trade analysis for you, Nick. And this one just came off of my, well, I just saw this, we'll say. Um, what would you do here? Um, seems like somebody wants to overspend. Um, Bishop Sankey, just hear me out here. Bishop Sankey, Max Williams, a 2016 second and a 2016 third for Kevin White. Would you take that deal, Nick? What were the draft picks again? Uh, a second and a third next third. year? Yep, second and a third next year. Max Williams and Bishop Sankey. I think I'd do that. You know, if I was a Sankey owner, I could see being just completely done with him after the bust season that he had last year. With Max Williams, you know, we've talked about it many times, tight ends take a year or two to develop, so it's tough to really count on him this year. Whereas Kevin White's probably most likely going to start opposite Alshon Jeffrey there in Chicago. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty decent trade for, for Kevin White. Seems like a lot. Um, that trade was actually proposed to me. And I turned it down. I I, just, I, I know it maybe seems crazy, but uh, I yeah, I turned it down. I just very happy to be a Kevin White owner. Put it that way. Um, and maybe I'll regret it. But uh, moving forward, what have we learned from our rookie drafts and dynasty trades this off season? Nick, any any thoughts there? Uh, well, first, how did you want to do this? Should I run through my whole list, or did you want to go back and forth? Let's go back and forth. All right, well, first off, if you absolutely need a quarterback in their, in your rookie draft, don't hesitate to take one towards the end of round one, even if they're both slotted to go in round two. I like take our 12-team league this year. Uh, a team had 1.09 and went Devontae Parker. Winston ended up being the next player off the board, and Mariota went at 2.06, so the owner had to take Garoppolo. Now his quarterback situation looks like this. If Matt Stafford were to get hurt, he has Garoppolo, who's probably only going to start a couple games this year, Robert Griffin, and Brian Hoyer. Ouch. <laughs> I think even though Parker was a good value at 1.09, he's probably wishing he had gone with the quarterback. Um, that guy is a Miami Dolphins fan. We'll leave it at that. Um, um, I, I, I thought IDPs weren't worth trading for. Uh, 
unless it's obviously the top tier guys, but uh, I have been amazed by the trades involving uh, IDP guys, and um, I also was the first to pull a trigger on drafting an IDP guy in DFW 36 and in our 16-team league, so I didn't feel the least bit uh, bad about that. Um, you see a top-tier guy, I think it's okay to pull the trigger, especially if there is a need there. I took Eric Kendrick's 2.13 in DFW 36, and uh, uh, very happy. And, you know, sometimes when you do that, the runs on IDP guy starts maybe a little bit earlier than it should, and you can end up getting the guy a little bit uh, later, like Mike Davis. Uh, what do you got, Nick? Well, I learned that in larger leagues and startup drafts, you better get your quarterback early if there's one that you love. Uh, take our 16-team startup there, draft that we're doing right now. Uh, Aaron Rodgers went 1.05, which I thought was a little high for Dynasty, but then I started seeing how high all the other guys went. Now, since it's 16 teams, I'll break down uh, their draft position by number, not by round. Uh, Ryan Tannehill went number 55 overall. And, and then, you know, but if there is a run on quarterbacks, don't panic. You know, Tannehill went 55. Then Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford all went between 57 and 60. So, you know, I was sitting there at 62 and 67. I almost uh, pulled the trigger on Ben Roethlisberger. But instead I got pretty good value at running back with Alfred Morris and uh, one of the top defensive ends, Jason Pierre-Paul, even though I didn't pick again until 94. Now, then in between – 60 and 94, only one other quarterback was taken, Peyton Manning. So I ended up getting uh, my quarterback, Ben, at 94, who I almost took at 62. I got to love that value, 34 to 39 picks after some of the guys in the same tier. Um, well, and and we another question here that was going to come to you via Q&A this week. Um, I hope that Jeff's listening. He loves that I always uh, redistribute that, that upcoming article. Uh, as Jeff's the man in charge of that. And this week I'm going to redistribute the Dynasty Pulse in there. But anyway, um, maybe I can do it next week now that we're talking about it. But my my general consensus for when I'm doing a startup is I want to go, if it's IDP, I'm going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, IDP, just in terms – with my first four picks. Not necessarily quarterback first, just whoever I feel best is at that position. I want to be able to create corners – you know, cornerstone players at each each of the major positions and be able to build kind of, you know, build my inside after that. I just think it's it's crucial to have a, to have a top player at, at those positions, maybe regardless of age. And I'll, and I'll tell you, for instance, what I did in, in the 16 team. Like I went J.J. Watt first, far and above the best defensive end available, just far and above. Um, then I went Matt Forte. I almost went Melvin Gordon, but he went right before me. So I opted for Forte, even though he's 29 years old. I do think potentially if my team is not very good midway point of the season, I can maybe flip Forte for some future pick. That's just my thoughts. Um, and then I went Jordan Matthews. I went Matthews over Kelvin Benjamin just because I, I know that Benjamin maybe had a slight tip in production, uh, uh, advantage in production, I mean, but I think – Matthews is going to ultimately be the best player. And then I went Matt Ryan in the fourth round. Not a huge Matt Ryan guy, but you know he's got job security. You know he's got receivers. You know he's got Mr. Justin Hardy now, too. So uh, that's my philosophy that I've kind of come up with during this mock season and these rookie drafts. And obviously rookie drafts are a little bit different than startups. You're just really going need. Um, 
but that's just kind of how I how I feel there. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, I learned that if you have a guy targeted and you see that a bunch of people that are drafting ahead of you have their pick pre-drafted, try like heck to trade up because there's a pretty good chance that one of those guys has the same guy targeted as you do. I think uh, my instance was I was trying like heck to get Marcus Mariota, offered a couple of different trades to a couple of different people that were ahead of me, uh, didn't end up getting him. Imagine that, the guy that's an Oregon Ducks fan and is moving to Hawaii in a couple of weeks, one in Mariota. But <laughs> I learned that I guess I didn't try hard enough to trade up before he went off off the board. Uh, and on that note, I tried, as soon as IDP guys started going like nuts, why? I was just like, well, screw this. I'm just going to take Eric Kendricks in a couple rounds and nobody's going to even see it coming. And like five minutes later, he gets drafted. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this 16 team sucks. It's so uh, – it's fun. It's a fun challenge, put it that way. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, my other thing is, is with the rookie drafts, I think regardless of what your team needs, first round you have to go – who you think is the best available player. Now, this year was a little bit different because of the big four and White, Cooper, Gordon, and Gurley at the top. Um, so, you know, obviously if it's, you're deciding, you know, like Devontae Parker versus TJ Yeldon or Tevin Coleman, um, it's, it's a different type of situation there. But I still think first round, you got to go best player available. And then if you have a need, I think you can start filling that up in the rounds after that. What do you got, Nick? Uh, one more I got is that uh, at least the people in our 12-team league that we did our rookie draft for, these guys hate Alex Smith. I got Chris Conley in the middle of the fifth round. He's got a good chance to get some really early playing time there in Kansas City. Give you an idea of who he was taking around. Uh, uh, he was taken behind DeAndre Smelter, who's coming off a torn ACL and might start season on the PUP list. And the next two wide receivers that were taken were Ty Montgomery in Green Bay and Devontae Davis in Philly. Both those guys are buried on their depth charts. Uh, yeah, I, I love the Conley pick. And I said a few weeks ago that I think Conley is going to change Alex Smith, change him. And there might be some tides whipping in uh, Kansas City along with Jeremy Macklin. So I think that I think that's going to be a big thing. So uh um, my la- my last point is uh, I think um, if you're in a league that has multiple copies of a player, uh, like DFW 36 or 48 or whatever whatever ma- monster league you are in, you can um, if the copy of your player if there's no copies of your player gone when it's time for you to draft, if you can trade down and you know, even just three spots or trade down a, ha- a handful of spots and gain an extra pick or gain a player that you can, that you can help you. You need to do that. You need to just, I mean, there's no sense in being the first person to take a copy when you know that you can wait. Um, for instance, I, I, I took a gamble in uh and did that, I did that, well, I guess I didn't trade down, but I took Kendricks over a couple of the running backs that I was eyeballing because I already had taken J.H.I. Uh, but then I waited, and I was able to take Mike Davis. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about him today. Um, but after that, I, you know, in the fifth round, I, I kind of had my eyes set on uh, a linebacker, and the Elvin Dupree was, was available. Uh, but I was able to trade down twice, gain extra picks for next year, and still 
and then the pick right before me, uh, the last copy of Dupree went. So then I traded down again. That was my second pick where I gained another one. And then I was able to take Eli Harold with with he was he was the first copy, but at the end of the fifth round, and I didn't have another pick for for 16 picks. I figured, oh, there might be a chance that he's gone. So I got my guy. I got a guy that I can stash, and this is a team that I'm going to be make it a run with in 2017. So I was uh, pretty happy to get that. Um, so if you're in those leagues that have multiple copies of players, uh, just just keep that in mind. Uh, what do you got for us, Nick? Best num- best to wear number seventeen in NFL history. Now this is the series that we've been doing for a little while, going through all the numbers. We're almost out of those darn quarterback numbers, Nick. What do you what do you got for us? I mentioned a couple of youngsters, Alshon Jeffrey and Ryan Tannehill. Neither of these guys would qualify for the list yet, but you know, say seven years down the road, it's possible they might. Now uh, moving on. Uh, Chris Chandler led the Dirty Bird Falcons team to an improbable upset over the one-loss 98 Vikings in the NFC Championship. He actually never did stay healthy enough to start 16 games over his 17-year career. Uh, Another guy that led a quarterback to the Super Bowl, Jake DeLone, not a record-breaker, but, you know, got the Panthers to a Super Bowl there. Uh, Three-time Pro Bowler Dave Craig has an unfortunate stat. He lost more yards being sacked than anyone else in history, but his 261 passing touchdowns is good for 12th all-time. Dave Craig had a 19-year career, but he didn't have a job at 44 years old as Steve DeBerg did. He actually backed up Chris Chandler on that 1998 Falcons team. Uh, Dandy Don Meredith finished his career with three straight straight Pro Bowls with Dallas and was one of the first announcers for Monday Night Football. Uh, Defensive back Richie Pettibone went to four Pro Bowls with Chicago. Then after his career, he got into coaching. He was actually Joe Gibbs' defensive coordinator in Washington from 1981 to 1992, then took over as head coach for one year. Uh, Billy Kilmer seemingly has spent his whole career in one quarterback controversy after another, most famously in Washington, first with the Hall of Famer Sonny Jurgensen, then later on with Joe Theismann. But he actually did lead the NFL in touchdown passes in 1972 en route to a Super Bowl. Uh, next up, uh, one of your favorite players, the six foot eight wide receiver Harold Carmichael, went to four Pro Bowlers, led the NFL in receivings and re- receptions and receiving yards in 1973, and is considered probably the best receiver in Eagles franchise history. And again, Six foot eight. What a matchup nightmare he must have been for players back then. Uh, Philip Rivers has been to five Pro Bowls and counting. He led the league in passing yards in 2010 with 4,700 yards. Uh, he hasn't found a po- much postseason success, but one could argue he's done more with less than most quarterbacks could have. He's had a ho hum wide receiver score for much of his career, and even worse, he had to deal with stupid North Turner for a head coach for far too long. Now, long last, our winner. Doug Williams does not have the stats that these other players have, but the impact he had on the game is undeniable. Josh, it's hard to believe that in our lifetimes, many people didn't think African-Americans could play quarterback in the NFL level. You know, Doug Williams endured loads of hate mail and even death threats during his time in Tampa Bay and Washington, but had he not been the Super Bowl 22 MVP, who knows if guys like Russell Wilson, Steve McNair, Donovan McNabb would have even gotten a chance. He changed the way people viewed black quarterbacks. And remember, that Skins team he quarterbacked scored 35 points in one quarter in Super Bowl 22. I don't think that Super Bowl record's ever going to be broken. What do you think, Josh? Uh, totally agree with you there with Doug Williams. His impact is certainly very, very profound. And I still think that's one of probably my favorite moments in Super Bowl history. Um, you know, that game, correct, I might be wrong here, but that game's 10 nothing Denver after one quarter. 
And me being a Raiders fan, I'm like, oh, my God, Denver's finally going to win their damn Super Bowl. You know, that being maybe a young kid and not understanding exactly how football works at that time, but I'm thinking, oh, man, they, they got this because Washington wasn't doing anything. And then it was just like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, holy cow. That was, I mean, it's 35-10 all of a sudden, you know, at halftime, just it, it, and I don't think Denver knew what exactly to do. Yeah, that's a feat that's certainly going to be very fun to watch if it ever is repeated, and if it's ever surpassed, I think uh, there's going to be some crazy over/unders in that Super Bowl. But uh, you you did forget Mr. Albert Glenn Turk Edwards, offensive lineman who's in the Hall of Fame there for uh, the Washington Redskins from offensive lineman from 1932 to 1940, played for the Boston Braves, the Boston Redskins, and ultimately the Washington Redskins. Those were actually all the same franchise, but just uh, some different number changes. So that's that's the Hall of Famer we have for you um, in terms of impact. Uh, final thing, another something that we've been playing around with, is called What Would You Trade For?, I need to have an echo on my voice when I say that. Uh, what would you trade for Russell Wilson? Well, you know what? Personally, I, I maybe I'm this is a cop out, but I would not trade for Russell Wilson right now unless the guy was practically giving him away. Listen, right now Russell Wilson's ranked as the number three quarterback in dynasty format. That's an all-time high for him, and so basically, I, I'm not a guy that likes to buy high. You want to buy low and sell high. Uh, so, yeah, it, there's probably no way that I would offer anything that would be accepted right now for Russell Wilson. And there's a this little weird thing going on. It's like Seattle doesn't want to pay him. So his future, you know, for this, a, a guy that's been to two Super Bowls, his future in Seattle is not necessarily very certain. Which is which is a very weird thing. Now, if I absolutely needed a quarterback to to make a run this year, I think I would, you know, maybe trade. You know, like I think it's feasible to trade like a to like maybe like a second and a third round pick for him. I I know that maybe seems high to you, Nick, but I think if you're making a run, he's got added weapons in Jimmy Graham and Tyler Lockett, who I think are going to make a, a world of difference. And, if, of course, if my guy Thomas Rawls comes through and contributes on that offense. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I just think that's he has the potential to be a very good player this year. And uh, if he gets paid and stays in Seattle, obviously his value is going to take, take a, nice, a nice jump. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to trade high on somebody unless you really need that final piece to contend. So uh, we'll leave it at that future is uncertain about what we are going to talk about next week i think we'll oh i know what we're gonna do we're gonna do some what we're gonna dive deep into a couple uh couple wide receiver depth charts and maybe talk about uh some camp battles i'll have to inform nick more about what i'm thinking here next uh, in the coming days here but uh we're gonna look i'll tell you this much we're gonna look at the cleveland wide receiver core and the tennessee wide receiver core a couple Couple teams that have a lot of bodies on their on their roster for the wide receiver position. We'll try to figure out ultimately who uh, who comes through and who is the best uh, best option there. Um, and if that doesn't sound exciting, please tweet me and tell us what you want us to talk about. We because we will do it. I'm sure we'll have uh, more dynasty trade analysis 
too, as a lot of rookie drafts are ending up. And we'll talk, of course, ongoing about our 16-team draft, as I'm sure that draft's going to be going for a couple more weeks as it's 35 rounds, and we're only in round 11. So, uh, Nick, any closing thoughts? Uh, just one more quick thought on Super Bowl 22. You mentioned that the, the Skins were down 10 to nothing in that game, and you were thinking, oh, gosh, Denver's going to get their Super Bowl win. Well, at that time, no team had ever came back down 10 points or more in a Super Bowl. So you had every reason to think that Denver was on their way to a win before that 35-point second quarter. Hmm. Still just just an unreal moment. Um, and – that Super Bowl also featured the only person to have 200 rushing yards in one in one Super Bowl, and uh, and uh, Mr. Timmy Smith. So uh, here's the answer to a couple of trivia questions on the show. Uh, I got to bring back trivia next week too, Nick. So beware. You think it's a game? You think it's a game? game? Last time I looked, the running backs are supposed to run. The receivers are supposed to catch the football. And-